Well, hey, good morning, Brookside. <clears throat> good to see all of you. And uh, yeah, isn't it fun just to hear what God has been doing? And uh, it's just been such a fun summer around this place. And so, so thankful for, for how God is at work. Well, today we're in part two of really what's a six-part series for us that's really looking at six different key lessons, six different key things that we can take away uh, from the life of David. And uh, one of the guys in our church uh, sent me a text last Sunday and said, you know, David's one of the people, I just thought he put this so well, he said, David is one of the people in the Bible that I admire the most. He said he's so fallible, he's so forgiven, and he's so faithful. And that just says it so well. And that's why I'm so excited for us to be able to learn from the story and the lifeline, really, of David. You know, think about that. Uh, first of all, he's so fallible. You know, David had, just like you and I, David had things in his life where you and I, we can relate to this, where he just messed up. And uh, he did wrong. We're going to see that in the weeks to come. And then we see that David is forgiven. We're going to see that even in the weeks to come as well. That David, he had totally experienced the grace of God. And as a result of him experiencing the grace of God, he was able to really live in that reality. And then lastly, he's so faithful. And this morning, that I think is really going to come to life. I think we're going to see one of the most powerful stories in, in all of the Bible of someone whose faithfulness to God was, was really, really uh, tested. You know, I was thinking this week that there are certain topics that when we talk about them here at Brookside, that they tend to apply to maybe a select group of people, that one group of people would say, oh, that was for me this morning. Like, that topic, that's right where I'm at in my, my place in life right now. That's what I'm dealing with. And then there are other times where I think like this morning where we just kind of go, this is like a blanket topic. This is one of those I think you'll be able really to be able to relate to as we look at the story of, of David today. And so what I'd love to do is just to pray with you right now and just say, Lord, um, we want to invite you into this place. You know, I love that we serve a, an alive and well God and he longs for us to hear from him. And so, yeah, would you join me and, and let's pray together and, and then we'll dive in. Heavenly Father, thank you. Um, Father, thank you for what you're doing not only in just the last week, but in this last year, God, we're just so grateful. This ministry year has been, uh, it's been phenomenal, and we're grateful. Uh, this morning, we want to say to you, Lord, would you speak to us? And so, God, we invite you into that place, and we open our hearts to you, and we just say, God, we long, we long to hear from you. Lord, you know us by name this morning. You know the week that we've had, the joys maybe, maybe the hardships even. Um, and God, you meet us in this place. And so, Lord, I just invite along with everyone here, invite your Holy Spirit now to speak. God, speak through me, I pray, and, um, and Father, might you do a good work in and through us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, let me ask you a question. Do you ever struggle with anger? If you just nodded your head, no, the person next to you is now angry at you, because they know that you do sometimes, right? Um, do you ever struggle with anger? Do you ever, like, somebody pushes your buttons one too many times, and you just, you just respond? And maybe even in that moment, you say something that you wish that you could get back, that you could kind of reel back in, or, or maybe you do something that you wish that you wouldn't do. And, but have you ever had those moments in your life where you just get angry? It doesn't matter how young or how old you are. Can you relate to that? Those times in your life where you just, you just say something maybe in response too quick, that kind of thing. You know, this has really been a humbling subject for me because there have been times on more than one occasion when I've sat across from Christina and I've said, wow, I've, I've really blown it here. Um, I was way too quick-tempered. Um, those times in my life where I feel like I just wish I would have stayed calm. You know, those times when you're in the heat of an argument maybe even and you just think you, you need to get the last word and so that's kind of where you drive to. You make a quick reaction 
Those times I know that I've had to confess, there have been times where I've lacked restraint, where I've been too quick to speak. Uh, let me keep confessing my sins to you here this morning. It's just good for me. A couple of months ago, I was heading west on L Street, and somewhere between right after really the, the, ex, the intersection, 120th and L Street, I saw this guy driving behind me, and he was driving like a complete maniac, right? He was weaving through traffic behind me, and I could hear his car coming. And he was a danger, really, I was thinking to everyone. And, and in that moment, um, as he approached, um, I thought to myself, I was already in a bad mood, and so this wasn't a good thing. And, and so I thought, well, you know what, I'm going to communicate that, I, one, I see him, and two, I don't like how he's driving. And so as he approached, quickly, I swerved into his lane a little bit. And he didn't receive that very well, because the next thing he did was he swerved right in front of me, you know, about hit my car, truck. And, and so then something inside of me broke. I think it was already broken, but it really came to life at that point. And so at this point, though, I'm feeling like I need to be the savior of my fellow motorists here on L Street. I felt like in that moment, it is my calling to protect. It is my calling. It's my mission to go after this person. And so I increased my speed to levels that I won't mention because of my friends here in law enforcement. But I, I got right behind this guy's bumper. Have you ever done this? Just, you kind of, you fired up. I actually saw this happen on the interstate yesterday. I was like, oh my. But I was fired up. I was fuming. And I'm behind this guy now, and I'm, we roll through one light. We're going on clear to the next light, L Street. You know, some distance between these lights, right? And uh, we keep going. And, and all of a sudden, there was this little voice that, that just whispered to me, Jeff. Pastor Jeff, I love that title that that voice gave me. Pastor Jeff, how do you think this is going to play out? Like, where do you hope that this will end? Like, did, maybe, maybe, oh, oh, Pastor Jeff, maybe you forgot your police badge at home. Oh, Pastor Jeff, what are you hoping? That at the next light, he'll get out of his car and you'll get out of your truck and you'll just, you'll fist fight it out right there on L Street. And then the little voice said to me, that would be a shining moment for Brookside Church, Jeff. That, <laughs> pastor, pastor, that'd be great, right? And in that moment, though, I was just so was livid. Well, I needed to turn left, which was good. And he needed to obviously keep going. And so this little act of road rage just ended with this long glare, which I'm sure really helped his driving skills for years to come. But, but then that was it, right? He went his way, I went my way. But then I thought to myself, Jeff, what's wrong with you? Like, what, what gets into you in those moments? Like, what, what drives you to a place that you don't like to be? Well, what takes you to a place where you obviously lacked some serious restraint, Mr. Mature, right? Uh, not a good thing, right? Just for fun, take a look at this video. See if you can, maybe you saw this even. Watch the motorcycle. Okay, we're stopping. We are just a few minutes away from opening up the road to a brand new highway five things out of Okay, stop. Uh, call nine one one.
Now, no one ended up being seriously injured in that, but I needed to see that. That was helpful, you know? Um, but think about this for a second. Do you ever have those moments in your life where you wish that you didn't retaliate? But let me ask you this question. When you're in the heat of the moment, when you feel like you've been wronged, don't you feel in that moment when you retaliate, don't you feel powerful? Don't you feel in that moment like you're at your strength in that moment? Have you ever felt that way? But isn't it true that after that then, after that, after you kind of cool down, after things calm and, and you talk things through, when you look back and you have a little bit of regret, have you ever noticed that you feel more weak than you ever have before? And here's where I'm driving to this morning. Doesn't it take more strength? Doesn't it take more courage? Doesn't it take a whole lot more maturity when you've been wronged to actually restrain yourself and to express grace than it does for a person just to retaliate? This morning we're going to see in the life of David this truth played out. And so I hope that you'll even just kind of keep this statement in mind this morning. Here it is. One of the greatest acts of strength is restraint. One of the greatest acts of strength isn't just to power up, but it's actually restraint. It's to hold back. That takes more boldness, actually. That takes a whole lot more godliness. That takes a whole lot more courage than just to fly off the handle. Today we're going to be looking at this story in the life of David. I think it is so helpful to us. But I want to tell you the backstory before we really get into the text in 1 Samuel 24. Because the, the, the story, this scene that we look at in the life of David, I'm telling you, the drama, on the drama front, this is like motion picture worthy. In 1 Samuel, there's really uh, three different players at stake, three different people that we see come to life. Number one, we've got the prophet. We've got prophet, the prophet Samuel. Number two, we've got this guy named Saul who becomes king. And then third, we've got our guy for this morning, we've got David. And today in, in chapter 24, historically, I kind of want you to know kind of what's leading up to this point. Historically, the nation of Israel is being governed by this group of people called judges. And as we talked about a little bit last week, these judges, they're pretty hands-on with the people. Some of them even go out to fight battles. Samuel is one of these people. He's a prophet. He's also a judge. But he's kind of on the national level, the national level leader. Well, it comes time, Samuel gets a little bit further along in, in years, and so the people come to him and they say, hey, we don't want your son to be the leader of the nation of Israel, and so actually we, we want, even though we're rejecting God by wanting this, we want a king. We want to be just like all of the other nations around us, and so God gives them what they want. They get this king. His name is Saul. Now, at first glance, Saul looks like a great candidate because uh, in their eyes, he's the perfect fit. He's tall, he's handsome, he's ready to lead. But it soon plays out that Saul has some major character flaws. And as we see and as we go through the book of 1 Samuel, these character flaws come to life. And slowly but surely, they lead to Saul's downfall. He's a leader, he's the king, he's leading military, they're winning some battles, they're losing battles, and slowly but surely, his character flaws lead to their downfall. And so then this happens in chapter 15. Again, I want to just set this up for us this morning before we get to chapter 24. It says, then the word of the Lord came to Samuel, verse 11, I regret that I have made uh, Saul king. Why? Because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. Samuel, he was angry, and he cried out to, Lord, to the Lord all that night. Now, so Samuel then goes to Saul, 
But when he goes to Saul to tell Saul, hey, God is taking his hand off of you as the leader of the nation of Israel, he can't find Saul. Because Saul is at a place called Carmel where Saul has resurrected a monument for himself in his honor. Not a good sign, right? And so Samuel, what does he do? He confronts Saul, and, and, and then Saul kind of disagrees with him, and they talk about it, and, and then and ultimately Saul kind of apologizes and this and that. But this is what Samuel ultimately says to Saul. Says, but or Samuel, he replied to Saul, to his argument that, oh, I'm okay, I didn't totally disobey the Lord. And then Samuel says this, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination, and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Here it is. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. So that's what's happening with Saul. Now, while all of this is going on, God, behind the scenes, is raising up this person that is unknown to, to everyone else. This person that you could say is an insignificant shepherd boy from an insignificant small town called Bethlehem. But when God looks at this, this, this man, he sees that there's something different about him. And he looks right at the heart and he says, oh, this is a, a man after my own heart. And so he's chosen based on his allegiance in his heart and his loyalty to the God that he knows and that he loves. Now, as we go through this story this morning, you can kind of treat it like a foil. David, on one hand, the complete opposite, as you think about the character of, of Saul. They're completely opposite to each other. And so while Saul now is on this path, right, Samuel's told him, you are on your way out. He's losing his path to kingship. He's losing his hand of leadership. David, at the same time, is rising. Because Saul is being exposed to David, and he sees, and he loves what he sees in Saul. He loves the fact that when Saul goes out to fight a military battle, he wins. He meets Saul by, by David coming in, and David plays the harp before him, and he, he likes that. And then there's the David and Goliath, and so then Saul really notices who David is. And so he promotes him. He becomes one of his generals. And because the favor of God is so on David, what's not to like? Everybody likes David. Because when David goes out to fight, the people win. And when David goes out to fight, the people that fight with him, they love him because he's humble, because he has their best interests in mind. People love fighting for him. And so it says this then in chapter 18, verse 5, it says, whatever mission Saul sent him on David, David was so successful that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. This pleased all the troops and Saul's officers as well. So things are going well. Now, as a result, though, of David doing well, as a result of his increased responsibility, he's also got an increased level of fame. People are going, oh, it's, it's David. Oh, we, oh, David, we so appreciate him. We love David. And as a result of this, Saul doesn't like it. It doesn't sit well with him. He actually can't stand it. And when we get to chapter 18, verse 6, it is a turning point in the storyline. This is a defining moment. And it leads to, for David, because of his success in the eyes of Saul, it leads to over a decade of suffering for him. And this, is what the, this was the key, key incident. Here it is. It says, when the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine. So David, again, another victory. 
It says the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful songs, uh, with timbrels and lyres, and they danced and they sang, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. Now imagine how that sat with Saul, not well at all. Verse 8, it says Saul was very angry. This refrain displeased him greatly. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands? What more can he get but the kingdom? Saul knows this because Samuel just told him. Saul, the spirit of God is being taken from you. And now David is coming to power. People love him. Oh, Saul, you killed your thousands. Oh, way to go, Saul. Good job, Saul. But David, you killed your tens of thousands. They loved him. And that drove Saul crazy because he felt threatened. He wondered, well, my position might be gone. My fame might be gone. My following might be gone. And at this moment, Saul is faced with the decision. Will he mentor? Will he coach? Will he cheer on the next leader of Israel? Or will he be jealously angry? You could describe with just one word the latter part of Saul's life. If you chose just one word, it would be anger. Saul's angry at God. God, why did you take your hand away from my leadership? He's angry at, at David. David, why did you come in? Why are you so successful? And he's angry at all of these people that are singing their praises to David and his victories. And then it says this in chapter 18, verse 9. This is so very telling. It says this. And from that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. From that moment when the crowd said, Saul, good job. Thousands. David, tens of thousands. Some translations say it like this. They say, and from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. From that point on, then, we see the text completely change, and Saul's mission becomes this. How do I get rid of the one that God is blessing? And by the way, you don't want to get rid of the one that God is blessing, because then you're fighting against God, and Saul realizes just how difficult this is going to be. But Saul's mission in life now becomes this. I'm going to take David out. That's my mission. He becomes completely obsessed with it. By the end of his life, he really loses touch with reality itself. Now, I just want to warn you. I think this is one of the saddest stories in the Bible. It's a story of abuse, really. But in it is this lesson for all of us. It's this lesson that flows <clears throat> from this question of this. How do you respond when you're wronged? What do you do when somebody has hurt you? Whether that was maybe somebody in your past, maybe that's somebody that you live with right now, maybe that's a coworker, maybe that's a friend, but what do you do when you're wronged? Because every person in this room gets wronged from time to time. The New Testament says this, it says, be careful that no root of bitterness grows up in you. Bitterness and anger, it destroyed Saul. It destroyed him. And so as this story continues then, there's two things that we see unfold really. Number one, we see the pain that, that Saul caused. And number two, then we see how David responded in a way that you might not imagine. He responded with grace. And so first though, look, let's look at the pain. The great lengths that, I mean, Saul went to work to bring David pain. 
I mean, imagine this. All the, 1 Samuel chapter 18, David is in the palace and he's playing the, the harp for Saul. He's, it, it says that David came in and it was kind of soothe to calm Saul down. And so he's playing the harp and, and as he's sitting there, Saul gets this idea, okay, he's just a sitting duck. So he takes his spear, lobs it across the room at him, he misses, but he says this. He says, I'll throw my spear at him and I'll pin him to the wall. So he tries it again. David eludes him again, by the way. I mean, David was like on his staff, right? He was working for Saul. If your boss ever takes a spear at you at work, you need a new job, right? So Saul does this, though. He does, we see this again and again and again throughout the story. Saul pledges to him, I'm done with that. I'll be loyal to you. I, I, I'm sorry. Gives him these ab- apologies. But then he says this. He comes up with his next tactic, and he says, okay, I'm going to send David out, and they're going to fight against the Philistines. The Philistines are fierce. And he says, okay, for sure. When he's out with the Philistines, he'll be killed. Well, that doesn't happen because God is blessing David. He's blessing his leadership. And then next, of all things, Saul's daughter falls in love with David. And you would think that Saul would be completely opposed to that marriage because, after all, David is his enemy. But instead, Saul says this. He says, oh, great. Yeah, you should marry, you should marry David. That would be great. I mean, think about that. And the reason why he does it is this. It says in the text that it's almost as though he's wanting to be able to be a spy through his daughter. I mean, what do you make of this guy? Yes, we do. You should marry David. I can't wait till you walk down the aisle. I can't wait to walk you down the aisle to marry him. I can't wait until I can throw a spear at him again. I mean, think about it. You talk about a dysfunctional family. This was absurd. Imagine if your father-in-law wanted you to marry his daughter so that he could in turn find different ways to kill you. I mean, that, it, that is really what is happening in this text. It's crazy. And then, of course, you know, Saul comes back. He says, I'll turn from my evil ways, blah, 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 blah. Chapter 19 then. What do we see yet again? What happens? Saul gets, he erupts in anger. And once again, he picks up his spear, he throws it at David. He misses David again. I mean, you think you have trouble with your in-laws, folks? Um, man, not even, I mean, imagine this. Imagine David, this has really happened. Imagine David talking to his family. Hey, how was Christmas at the palace? Oh, a little, little tense this year. A little incident with the spear again, you know. <laughs> Literally, in chapter 19, we see this. David has to be lowered in a basket out of the palace by his wife so that he can escape the hand of Saul. Awkward, crazy. Chapter 20, Saul's having dinner with his family. David gets brought up in conversation. And it so makes Saul angry that he picks up his spear this time. David's not there. He throws his spear this time to hit his own son, Jonathan. The lengths that he went to destroy the entire family. And when you and I, if we don't have restraint against the people that hurt us the most, if we can't deal with that rightly, it has the potential to destroy all sorts of relationships in our lives. And so David finds himself gripped by a power he can't control. And so now David's, he's really, he's a fugitive. He's on the run and and he's running from now 3,000 men. He gets to this place called En Gedi. This is a picture of En Gedi. This was a place, it's, I mean, think Arizona, hot in the summer, a place maybe you want to visit for the day, but you don't want to be on the run in. Arid, cliffs all over the place, not easy terrain. 
And so David is on the run, and Saul is trying to get him and get him and get him. He doesn't stop. That brings us to chapter 24. And this, church, this is a defining moment. Because David is given the opportunity now to lash back. And here's the thing. You will have an opportunity with the person that wrongs you in your life. God will likely give you one opportunity or maybe many to say what you've always wanted to say. To speak, to give me the last word. God will probably give you the opportunity at some point to do the thing that you've been always thinking of doing. You know those conversations that you just rehearse in your mind and they just play out so well in your mind. You know what I'm talking about? You might have an opportunity for that. What you do, though, when you have that opportunity is a defining moment for you. And so that takes us to chapter 24. It says this. It says, after Saul had returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, David is in the desert of En Gedi. And so Saul took 3,000 able young men, probably the best of the best from all of Israel, and he set out to look for David and his men near the, near the, crags, or the crags of the wild goats. So rough terrain again. It says he came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there, and Saul went in to relieve himself. Do you need me to explain the text here? No porta potties, right? Now, there's no doubt he took off his robe. That's what they did. Took off his robe, maybe threw it in the corner, right? Grabbed a magazine. Who knows? Who cares, right? What do we know? He's defenseless, completely defenseless. So here's what happens next. It says David and his men were far back in the cave. Now, just think of that. It just so happens that Saul picked the very cave that David was clear in the back of. And the men said, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Then David crept up unnoticed and he cut off the corner of Saul's robe. Afterward, David was conscious stricken. He's so in tune with God. Think about that. I mean, he's he's a man after God's own heart. We want to be men and women after God's own heart. A part of that is that our conscience is in tune with God right? It says, afterward, David was conscious stricken for having cut off the corner of his robe. Now, let me ask you the question, what would you have done in that moment? What would you have done if you were in the back of the cave? You've been being hunted for a long time. In totality, this went on about 15 years that he endured this kind of persecution and whatnot from Saul. What, do you, what would you do in that moment? Would you take that opportunity? In that moment, would it be your greatest moment of strength or would it be a moment of great weakness for you? It says this then. It says that he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay a hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. Key words. And with these words, David sharply rebuked his men and he did not allow them to attack Saul. He said, guys, no way. Even though the guys are saying, I mean, they're coming around him, just like people will come around you and they'll say, but just sue him. And there's, sometimes there's a reason that people go to court, a good reason. But there's a whole lot of reasons why people shouldn't probably go to court, right? But either way, whether, when you're wronged, you're probably going to have people just like David did who are around you and they're saying, Get back at him. Basically, what they're saying to David is, take the shot, man. Take the shot. 
It says, when these words, they sharply, sharply rebuked his men, did not allow them to ta- attack Saul, and Saul left the cave, and he went his way. And then David, here he goes, he went out of the cave, and he called out to Saul, my lord the king. Respect, right? It says, when Saul looked behind him, David bowed down, and he prostrated himself with his face to the ground, and he said to Saul, why do you listen when men say, David is bent on harming you? And I just bet you, David had wanted to, to have asked him that question for years. I just bet that there was everything inside David that had been just wanting to say to Saul, why do you think your son-in-law is trying to kill you? And why are you trying to kill me? Why, Saul, why do you keep coming after me? I didn't ask for the Lord's blessing. He blessed me. Why do you keep pursuing me? And then he says this, this day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you like the guys right behind me, but I spared you. And I said, I will not lay my hand on my Lord because he is the Lord's anointed. Again, he, again, big picture. What is the perspective that David lives with? God is God. God is God. He says, see my father, respect again, Look at this piece of robe in my hand. I cut off the corner of of your robe and did not kill you. See that there is nothing in my hand to indicate that I am guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you, but you are hunting me down to take my life. And he says this, may the Lord judge between you and me like I'm giving this to God. And I think at that moment in verse 12, we'll see it again in verse 15, it's as though David's carrying around this luggage, this heavy luggage, and it's called Saul. And in this moment, he says this. He says, you know what? Boom. I drop you, Saul. May the Lord judge between you and me. I'm giving you to God. May the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me, but my hand will not touch you. As the old saying goes, from evildoers come evil deeds. That's you, Saul. So my hand, though, my hand will not touch you. Against whom has the king of Israel come out? I love this. He says, who are you pursuing? A dead dog? A flea? I think he's kind of saying to Saul at that point, I could have taken you, and I could still take you. And then he says this, may the Lord be our judge and decide between us. May he consider my cause and uphold it. And may he vindicate me by delivering me from your hand. In other words, I'm giving you to God. I'm giving you to God. It might be in a place, I might be in a place right now where I could avenge, where I, I'm not a flea and I'm definitely not a dead dog and you are in the cave and I'll have another opportunity. But in that moment, he comes to a fork in the road and he says this, I'm going to handle it differently. And I think the key lesson that we learned this morning is this. When you get angry, like when somebody just, and it could be over the period of a year, it could be over the period of decades, it could be in traffic, how do you respond? What does that look like? Now, you might ask this question, well, what about justice? What about standing up for yourself? Well, I mean, justice is a good thing. Know this, David is not disinterested in justice. He cares a lot about justice, actually. He cares so much about justice that he gives it to God because his view of God is this. God, you are a just God. 
God, you will avenge. God, you will take care of it. God, I will be faithful. My character will be intact. Did you notice that in, in Psalm 78 this morning? The very last line was so, what a gift, right? It says that David, what did he do? He shepherded the people with skillful hands and integrity of heart. Again, David's saying, I'm going to stay true to who I am, but I'm going to give you to God. A turning point. I will leave it in the hand of God. What do you do when someone in your life has wronged you and you're not sure if they're sorry really means that they're truly sorry? What do you do at that point? Notice this, though. This is so important, I think. At the very end of the chapter, it says this. The last verse says, this is after Saul has apologized, that David's made this oath. He said, yeah, I won't come and kill you, blah, blah, blah. And then it says this. It says, Saul returned home, but David and his men went to the stronghold. Now, I think you could just read that and go, okay, that's where they went. But I think there's something more there. I think that's actually pretty significant. Notice what's, what David doesn't do. It doesn't say that David then, you know, got out his phone, took a selfie with Saul, posted it for the world to see. We're together again. We're best friends. He didn't do that. It says that Saul went one way. David went another way. You know what David's doing in this moment? He's exercising wisdom. David has no idea what Saul will do next. He has no idea whether he has another spear in his hand. He has no idea. And so what does he do? He puts up some boundaries, healthy boundaries. He exercises great wisdom. He says, okay, you can go that way, great. Yeah, I'm gonna be faithful to who I am. I gave you to God. I dropped the luggage, you, right? And I'm gonna be respectful. I'm gonna do everything best I can under God. But at the end of the day, I'm gonna trust that God is God, and he, he's a sovereign God, he's a just God, but I also, I'm not going to be foolish, and we're not going to be best friends, and I'm probably not going to be coming to the palace a whole lot. Think about that. I think that's important that we hear that in the story. You know, this story is about this man who showed grace to someone who never changed. Uh, he kept giving grace to someone who did not deserve it. And so this morning, I think we have to ask this question. What will you do if the person in your life who is a Saul, what will you do if they never repent? What will you do if they never say that they're sorry? What do you do with that? For some of you, you had some people that caused you harm years and years and years ago, and you are still carrying that bag of luggage around. You carry that person with you every single day, and you are the one that's bondage to them. They are not in bondage to you. And what you can do, what I love this lesson is this. At the end of the day, David, bottom line, said this. I drop, I drop it. And God, I give it to you. And that doesn't mean that it's over. That doesn't mean that it doesn't still hurt. That doesn't mean, it doesn't take away from anything that's happened. But what it does say is this. I acknowledge who my God is. And I trust that my God is bigger than my situation. And God, I'm saying to you, I will give you the person that's caused me the greatest amount of pain. And know this, when you do that, you know who you're acting like? When you restrain yourself, you're acting like your Savior. I mean, think about Jesus Christ. I love this. Peter said this about Jesus. He said that when they hurled insults at Jesus, he did not retaliate. Uh, when he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. 
We see it again and again. What did Jesus Christ do? Jesus Christ, what did he do? He saved room. God saved room. He saved margin for you and I, those who would wrong him, to experience grace. To experience grace. That's why a Christian, I think, should always be the most grateful people on the planet because we realize how good God has been to us, that it should overwhelm us. You know, we see throughout the Psalms, David wrote so many of the Psalms, 18, 52, 53, 57, during the time he's being hunted. And over and over and over and over again, we see words that reflect, God, I trust you, even though this is hard. God, I trust you. And so this morning, I want to close this way and just ask this question. Do you have a Saul in your life? And if you have a Saul in your life, I think the, the, the message is very clear this morning. Here it is. David says this, God, I entrust Saul to you. And so this morning, I just want to pray for us and just say, God, um, would you take the Sauls maybe that are in your life? And Lord, we want to entrust them to you because our view of you is so big. And so, yeah, would you, would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you for this example in the life of Saul, or in David, and, and uh, through Saul. And um, Father, we just want to pray this morning that we would be the kind of people, men and women here today, um, that, Father, there might be somebody in our life that's caused us great pain. It might be uh, minor pain. It might be the kind of thing where we just kind of fly off the handle. Um, God, we pray in those moments that we would offer restraint, that, that we would act with restraint, that we would act in godliness. But I just want to speak now just to the person, though, that you're here this morning and the entire time that I've been talking, as I mentioned the name Saul, and I said, does anyone have a Saul in here this morning? You thought to yourself, oh, yeah. And you've had that person's name in your mind the whole time. And um, I just want to give you an opportunity this morning. I don't want you to miss this opportunity either. You can give that person to God. And that doesn't mean that, that it's over. And that doesn't mean that you won't give it to God again. David probably gave that to God every single day, again and again and again and again. But this morning, I just want to say to you right now, even in the quietness of this room, would you just give that person to God and say, God, I trust you. God, I'll be faithful to you. And I release them to you. And so maybe even just turn your palms up to God right now just as a declaration right there on your lap. Just turn your palms up to God as a symbol of saying, yeah, that name that's in my mind, God, I give them to you. Father, we pray you would just do business with us, God. Might we be the kind of people that we let you be God and we carry what we should carry, but we let you carry what you can only carry. And Father, thank you that you demonstrated grace for us. Father, thank you that you're the kind of God that we're the recipients of the restraint that you showed. We're so grateful for that. You wish that none would perish. Thank you, Lord. Thank you.